Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Great vibe in the place this morning. So glad you're here. Right at the beginning, I want to say God wants to encourage people today to believe for breakthrough after the breakdown. I've noticed that after breakdowns, we can either give up and stay there in the breakdown or we can break through. And prophetically this morning, while we were worshipping, a scripture came to me about where the Bible says, God restores the years the locusts have eaten. And during the times of the Bible, the farmers would plant crops and the locusts would come and destroy the crops. That's a bit of a breakdown. You think, what are we going to do? But the following year, the dead locusts became fertiliser for the next crop and they ended up with bumper crops, much more than they would have had before. And I believe that God has great futures for us if we understand that in all our lives, there are seasons of breakdown. What I love about the church today is we're not pretending they're not there, but we're actually saying, hey, it ain't going too good right now. And a church like this would say, we understand, how can we help? And let's believe for the breakthrough. And for many of you to be breakthrough. Also, right at the beginning, I'm sharing tonight as well, and I wanna share on how we can be free from sin. And I wanna pray for lots of people that have got strongholds they can't break. Believing for a breakthrough in that area tonight. It doesn't have to be the things we always think of, sin, you know, sexual things and all. No, sin can be lots of things, the things that just stop us from living out our destiny. For some, sin is lack of consistency. God isn't number one in our lives. He's got to fit in with us. And when we make Him consistent in our lives, He puts us first and the amazing things that come that in our own strength we strive for and don't get there, but doing it His way, in the rest we have in Him, breakthrough comes. So it's a breakthrough day today. I really believe that. Just before I share, uh, I've always had a passion and a love for the Kingdom of God. I work with about 13 churches at the moment as a primary relationship of helping them move forward. But just recently I felt that God wanted me to build a team where it's not just my voice, and graciously, Pastor Tony and Kath are, are willing to work with me in these areas and other people like Dr. Ray Andrews and, and others so that we can help in all areas where the, the needs are and it's not just me. And it just was a bit of a coincidence, but it's a God incidence that two weeks ago, Pastor Tony preached in, on the Sunshine Coast for Sharon and I have great friends, Ashley and Alison Good. And then the following last Sunday, I was there and it was like they absolutely loved Pastor Tony's input. Today, we've, I've asked Pastor Tony to go to Tasmania this morning to be with a church that I've been working with for 13 years. And I really felt that his voice can add to what I've been bringing as well. And together as a team, we can do a lot more than one person. 
And so as a church, you need to know this morning that we're part of something bigger than just coming here on a Sunday and uh, really grateful for the wisdom on Pastor Tony's life and the reports coming back even since last night when he met with the, the senior pastor, the report of just the impact that that had. And so uh, we as a church need to be grateful to be part of a, the Kingdom of God and not just a local uh, situation, yet we give a lot of focus to the local so we can be strong to go to the larger. And we thank God. God for the kingdom this morning. Father, we pray for every church today that is gathering in Your Name. We pray for every church in this city and all around this nation that as people gather to talk about You, may You be the hope of the world and the clarity the church needs. We pray in Jesus' Name. Amen. As I was driving here today, I was just having a moment of appreciation. I did cross lanes without realising it and sort of I got the little beeper that pulled me back in, but you know, uh, and I had a deep appreciation for the Bible. I always have. But this morning, I I was hoping I could remember it because I'm not that good at remembering like I used to be. I wanted to pull over and write it down, but my bag was in the back and so it, it was all over the shop. But anyway, what I felt this morning was that the Bible shows us incredible lessons from the past. When we look at the Word of God, there's so much history in the Word of God that can show us where the mistakes happened in the past so that we can have clarity when He speaks in the present. And Kath mentioned it a couple of times this morning. And so then we can be set up for our future. This morning, I want us to go back to part two, or we're going to go to part two of the book of Nehemiah because every time I read it, lessons from the past out of that book totally impact my life and makes so much sense today that by looking at the lessons from the past, it can speak into our present now and it can help us set up our future. And so we're going to go into the book of Nehemiah again today under the theme of Arise and Build. If you weren't here a few weeks ago, I spoke out of the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah that a man who restored the broken walls of Jerusalem with absolutely pure motives in chapter one. In chapter two, he prepares to go and change that city. In chapter three, there is amazing progress. And then comes a chapter four of persecution and a chapter five of postponement where they weren't moving forward or moving backwards. And we had a a great time of prayer on that Sunday where people felt they were flatlining they were in chapter five and they were in chapter four, fell under attack. But you know, chapter six came after chapter five and there was prosperity that came after such incredible attack. And I prophesy again this morning that COVID has flatlined a lot of Christians and made life a little miserable, even just in the confusion of it all. The amount of Christians that are afraid to watch the news now because much of what we see on the news is prophesied in Scripture. But sadly, as Christians, we don't know how that's going to affect us. And I want to say to you today, the best days for every believer that walks with Jesus are in front of us. They start now, we arise and build and we're going to see all that God showed us in the past, equip us for the present and set us up for the church that Jesus is coming back for, a beautiful bride. Now I'm going to go back to chapter 3 this morning and before I do, 
I'm being a bit sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, I've missed the point. I didn't give you a dad joke. So I thought I'd better throw one in before I forget. I had a happy childhood. My dad used to put me in tyres and roll me down hills. Those were good years. Ah, okay. Having said that, I'm going to look at chapter three today. And in chapter three of the book of Nehemiah, as they began to rebuild the broken city of Jerusalem, they had to repair 10 gates. I'm only going to give you five today and then I'll do another message on the last five. But it's interesting, the first five are dealing with really deep issues in the spiritual connotation they bring to us today in our lives. But the second lot of gates lead into incredible breakthrough and incredible refreshing and incredible purpose being achieved. But this morning, we're gonna look at the first five. I'm gonna put up on the screen the whole 10 so you know what they are. And then we're gonna go back and look at the five. There's the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate. That's an interesting gate. Fountain gate, water gate, horse gate, east gate and the inspection gate and they all have spiritual meaning for our lives individually, but also for the church. And I believe the church needs to look at this right now as a whole, because church is not gonna be the same in the future as what we've seen in the past. There's so much more to come. There's so much more to be built, but we've gotta get back to establishing the foundations of what we build on. And so I really believe today that God will encourage us to see how much the Bible makes sense. We're gonna look at the first five gates. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the gates of our community are being torn down. I'm finding it harder and harder to watch anything on TV that remotely brings a sense of rightness. It's just so sad to see the brokenness in people's identity, the brokenness in what people value, the, uh, the brokenness in what we go and terrorise. And it's amazing that everybody has to have freedom of speech unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you have no voice anymore. You get cancelled, you get attacked and there's no freedom for the Christian to share what the Christian decides to live themselves we're not telling the world how to live, but we as Christians have a value system, have a culture from the Bible that we choose to live and the world has become so secular that we get vilified for it. But it's time for the church to arise and build. And it's time to realise that we're not gonna fight back with rebellion, but there are spiritual warfare patterns and weapons we can have to see the church become brighter and brighter as the world gets darker in this time in history. When God, the creator of life and His design for His creation is mocked, ridiculed and attacked, we end up with the mess our world is in. But so often as Christians, we do try to tell the world where to change, whereas the church, we've stopped repairing the broken walls. And I say this as a father with a loving heart, we just need to get the church healthy. We need to get, and I'm not talking about this house, I'm talking whole of Christianity, the church in the West. We need to see a change. For in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. 
The Bible's always started with His house, with God's house, and then we can be a voice to the broken city around us and the walls that are broken. Second Chronicles 7.14, we quote it a lot. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore the land. There's a then and there's an if. Then if my people. It doesn't say, well, you guys, you know, if you wanna pray. No, then if and my people turn from our wicked ways. See, we think that as Christians that we're better than the people out there. No, we're not. We have wicked ways we got to do with our indifference to the broken. I am deeply touched by what we're doing for the community as a church here. And that's not just a program given to us by New Zealand. It's the heart of God for a broken and hurting world. And God is wanting us as the church to get back to the things that really matter. The first gate is the sheep gate. Now to give you the overall word that represents this gate is sacrifice. But it's about the sacrifice Jesus made for our freedom. Then Elishab the high priest and the other priest started to rebuild at the sheep gate. And it's the only gate that's mentioned twice in the chapter because at the end, it also says in verse 32, the other goldsmiths and merchants repaired the wall from that corner to the sheep gate. This is the gate where sheep and lambs were brought through when they were sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus became that sacrifice. And when we look at this gate in the book of Nehemiah, it's a prophetic picture of the future of Jesus' coming. Our first entrance into our Christian journey is through the death of Jesus on the cross. It's our starting point and also our ending point. It's all around the cross of Jesus. I'm saddened today and I'm talking to me how little sometimes I value the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is power in the cross and we've got to repair this sheep gate back in the church because I'll tell you what the cross does. The cross has the power to set us free. There is no need to have the habits we have for as long as we have them. I remember when my grandfather would sit me down and tell me the story of his conversion after the Second World War back in Italy. And he said, you know, as he was walking home after the Holy Spirit got hold of his life, had never seen a Bible. Catholic Church wouldn't let you read the Bible in those days, only the priests could read it. And yet one encounter with the Holy Spirit, he's walking home from a church service. He lights up a cigarette and I'm not saying if you're smoking, you're gonna go to hell. You might smell like you've been there. But anyway, what happens is, sorry, sorry, I don't know where that came from. But um, as he's walking across the bridge, he goes to light up a cigarette and starts choking, picks up the whole packet and throws it over the bridge and never smoked again. And he said he so had a trust in the power of the cross that sometimes we get cross why God doesn't heal us or doesn't do this when it comes to our habits. Let me tell you, we need a deeper trust in the power of the cross because it has the power to set us free. So much anxiety, fear and guilt in our lives is because of undealt sin in our lives and the cross can fix it. 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross that we can be dead to sin and live to what is right. 
By His wounds you are healed. That's got nothing to do with a broken leg. That's got to do with the brokenness of our sins. That's the context. What Peter is saying here is that Jesus heals us of the effects of sin by removing our actual sins from us and taking them on to Himself. I'm grateful for the cross today. As I was preparing this message, I apologised to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I'm sorry I don't regularly remind myself of the power of the cross. The cross has the power to create in us a desire for right living. The Bible calls it righteousness. The cross has this ability to change where our affection goes. You know, when you really like something in your life that you hadn't had before, everything from the past is ignored and your focus is on this new thing you want. And the fact is the cross of Jesus Christ, if it has its work in our lives, sin no longer becomes our desire. We may sin occasionally because we're made of flesh, but we come back to the cross. We don't live a lifestyle of sin because of the power of the cross. By the cross, He has created in us a desire for right living. I'm gonna read from the Message Bible. There's a bit of Bible here today, but hang in there. Romans chapter seven, five to six in the message. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds. What it means by the law, if you're a new Christian here today, is living by rules and regulations. The Old Testament, you had to obey all the rules to be accepted before God. But the work of the cross means Jesus paid the price for us so that we don't come to faith by doing good things. We come to faith because He did the right thing and died for us. But with that death comes power in that cross. And by now we've been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So my dear friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died, He took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with Him and led it into the tomb, leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived that old way of life, doing whatever we felt we could get away with, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And this made us all the more rebellious. But in the end, all we had to show for it was a miscarriage and stillbirths. But now that we're no longer shackled to that domineering mate of sin and are out from under all those oppressive regulations and fine print, We're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. What I love about the cross is it takes away the pressure to have to obey the rules. But by us appreciating Jesus made a way for us, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us forward. It's not perfection, it's direction. We walk towards God, not away from God. We will muck up. This is a great church to put their arms around people that muck up and make mistakes because we all do but we don't do it as a lifestyle because the power of the cross helps us to live a different lifestyle even after we've made mistakes. The other thing about the cross is that it reveals to us the love of God for us. It shows that we are loved. 
Listen to this. We quote it all the time, John 3, 16 and 17 in the message. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, one and only Son, and this is why, so that no one need to be destroyed by believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all this trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in Him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in Him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. Romans 5 verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we were, were, sorry, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's what the cross does. It makes us friends with God. It gives us the power to overcome sin. It takes away the, the rules that we've got to live by because we can live by relationship. And this was the sheep gate mentioned in Nehemiah and it had a prophetic picture for the future of this gate points to the first coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In John 1.29, the next day Jesus saw, uh, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sheep gate is understanding that Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He was the Son of God prophesied right back here in the Nehemiah. And let me tell you, unless Jesus comes back to this planet, we're stuffed. We really are. And we need God back on the planet. We need Jesus back in our world because He is the only one that has an answer to the broken world. Can I say this this morning? People have a go at the church and they talk about how full of hypocrites it is. If some of you can play the piano this morning and you can play it well and you played Beethoven, but you played it badly, is it Beethoven's fault? Is it his fault because you played Beethoven badly? Sometimes we blame the church and then we blame God. If God is real, how come I've met all these Christians and they're all hypocrites? Don't blame the Creator because of what His creation does. Let me tell you, God is who He said He is and was and so is Jesus and we need Him back on the planet. We might not need some of the churchianity we've had in the past. We might not need some of the religious stuff we've done in the past, but boy, does our nation need the sheep gate restored and the church and our lives needs this gate restored. The second gate is the fish gate. The fishermen of Galilee would bring their catch through the gate to be sold. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed Him. The fish gate is the gate the church needs to repair to reach broken people and not just want people from other churches to join us. We need a new fish gate built back in the church where our heart's not about how many bums on seats on Sunday, but it's how many people are we reaching 
out there that need to be spoken to about the love and compassion of God. I did a funeral, it just comes to mind now, I hadn't planned to say it, but last Wednesday, and I felt God say to me very clearly, don't pray a sinner's prayer, just tell people the truth about who God is and offer to speak with them afterwards. And a young lady came up to me afterwards and she goes, I wanna know about that Jesus. And she started crying. And I got a phone call from one of the pastors at Edge Church saying to me, she was at church last Sunday and the next night she started the new Christians class because she's so hungry to know God. There is a hunger out there and they don't want a quick, cheap sale. There's a hunger out there and people don't wanna have this little sentence and then that's it. We wanna sit down with people, talk to them and show them that they can go, we can go through that sheep gate and take people to the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And so these gates represent a need the need for the people of God to share the good news. It should be a natural progression that after we meet Jesus, we would like to share Him with other people. There's a survey recently done that says believers that are saved less than two years win the most people to Christ. Believers that are saved less than two years. And I know for me as a pastor, and I don't say this arrogantly, I really don't, I remember there was a time I became stale in my ministry back at Edge Church. And I felt God say, you start reaching out to the community as a pastor. You start reaching out to broken people. You start reaching out to people that don't know me. And as I did it, it changed my heart. It changed my love for people. It changed how I preached. It changed everything when I started walking through the fish gate and realised that this is a gate that has to be repaired back in the church. This gate is also a prophetic picture of the church in the first century. The apostolic era where believers who were so on fire for Christ sacrificed everything and went out to turn the world upside down with the message of Jesus. I honestly and truly see that coming back. I really see the fish gate opening up again in the church where we're gonna fall in love with broken people and wanna reach them. The growth of Christianity spread rapidly during the first century. The third gate is the old gate. It's only mentioned in the book of Nehemiah. This speaks of the old truths that never change. In Jeremiah 6.16, this is a favourite scripture of mine. This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. You know, right now there are old truths that will never ever change that we've ignored as a nation. You go back to when, even back in America all those years ago on on their dollar, in God we trust. There was a time in history where the values of God meant everything and, and it's through those values that schools were started, hospitals were started. And now we go back in our history, we wanna cancel all that. We wanna cancel, but let me tell you, the right way is found in the old truths, not religious rituals, but the old truths that never change about love. This morning, when I got out of bed, I just felt God say to me, go to 1 Corinthians 13 and pray that chapter into you. So I went and sat in my prayer chair and I opened up 1 Corinthians, love is kind, love is patient. I mean, I stopped for 10 minutes right there. Oh God, I'm so impatient. Oh God, See, 1 Corinthians 13 is not just for weddings. It's actually a picture of Jesus. And as I began to go through every verse 
In 1 Corinthians 13 this morning, I realised how much I need the old ways. The ancient ways that bring refreshing back into our lives. The old ways of God's truth work in every era and every generation. We seem to want something new all the time, but have walked away from proven patterns. But somehow we want the latest new teaching, the last ex- later, latest experience. The number of people that come to me because of what they saw on YouTube. But you know, um, you know, we got to go back to Facebook, not Facebook. The Bible is our faith book. People trust Facebook more than they trust Facebook. And I wanna tell you, the old ways work. They work in our marriages. They work in every area. It takes everyone to respond. And you let me tell you, God has made that gate available for us to repair in our lives. We can repair that gate. We can repair the old gate. And I believe God is bringing the church back to the Bible foundations. I believe in this house, we're gonna see discipleship over a long period of time, not discipleship to us, not discipleship to how we look or what we wear. It's discipleship to the Word of God and the foundations of that. And let me tell you, your ways have turned, our ways have turned people away from God. But let me tell you, we're getting back to repair these gates. Oh, I tell you, it's awesome. Prophetically, this speaks of the period of the church fathers around 100 to 325 AD. This was a time when the faith and truth of God were further established to counter the attacks and persecution from unbelievers. This gate was repaired. Prophesied in the book of Nehemiah in 100 to 325 AD, it was repaired. God is wanting us, the church, to clarify and be established again in the foundations of Christianity. I remember reading, I wasn't reading, I was preaching in England with Pastor Rick Shelton and he read the newspaper of that week. This is a few years ago in America. He'd gotten the newspaper where a survey was done in America of whether Christianity is dying. And a reporter who wasn't a Christian, and I've shared this a few years ago here, but a reporter who wasn't a Christian went out and asked people whether they believed in God and whether they believed in church. And he said, he talked to the people that were what I call churchians, but the reporter called churchgoers that, sorry, people that are Christians because it's on their birth certificate. But never, but the church or God never did anything to change their lives. Then there was another group and they were the ones that send their kids to Sunday school because they like the values of the church. They want their kids to grow up with good values, but Jesus meant nothing to them. He said, both those two groups are dying in America rapidly. But he says, then I found a new group and they're the people that believe the Bible is a worldview. And they are mainly amongst the Hispanics at the time and said, these are the people that use the Bible as their worldview. Not only are they not dying, they're growing rapidly. And the atheist reporter said this, I actually don't believe that Christianity is dying. It's just being clarified. It's just being clarified. I stand here today with deep conviction that our Christianity's days, are the best days are ahead of us. It is being clarified and Jesus is coming back for an awesome bride and He is restoring that gate. He really is restoring that gate. Then the next one is, so that gate's foundational truth called the, um, the old gate. Then number four, I'd like the musicians to come back if that's okay. Number four, we're moving quickly. The valley gate 
in chapter 3, verse 13. This gate is quite a distance from the first few gates mentioned. You know, friends, when you first become a Christian, it's like you look at other Christians and go, why aren't they so fired up like me? You know, you pray for a car park, you get it. You know, it's like, you know, you pray, oh, when she looks at me like that, she's the one. It's like what happens is we, we believe God's in everything we do. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me by green pastures. You know what that word means? It means just that He refreshes us. It's like the honeymoon period of Christianity. But in the next verse, it says, He leads me to paths of righteousness. It's not the same word. We use the same word in the English, but it means the first word lead in Psalm 23 is we move and God says, go on, I'm with you. I'm watching you, I'm behind you. And then the second word is when God starts to give us a shove for righteousness sake. That's called a different gate. That's called the valley gate. It's where things happen that are not great. And we're, you know something, when you're on the mountain, when you first come to Jesus, it's fantastic, but not much grows on the mountain. What needs to grow, grows in the valley. And it's in the valley that Christians are, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why isn't God answering my prayer? He is. He is answering your prayer. You're just listening to the answer the wrong way. And so for a new Christian, there's that honeymoon period that we see here in Psalm 23. But then the valley gate comes. That's humbling. That's trials. That's difficulties. That's challenges. And what that gate does, the valley gate, it brings us to a posture of humility. That gate is the humility God's bringing back to the church right now. Hey God, without You, I'm nothing. People thought I was rude when I said, I'm only one decision away from becoming a total idiot. But without humility, it's true. Without humility, I do things my way, I'm done. But it's in the valley of not understanding why one of your family's taken. In the valley of why people respond the way they do when they shouldn't. In the valley when you give counselling and people then attack you for it, as a leader even. And you're in the valley and it's in that place where you either complain and grizzle or you say, God, I humble myself. I humble myself in this valley and through that humility, we come to an incredible place of breakthrough. You see, as soon as we get into the valley gate, the next one is the dung gate. And this is the last one. The dung gate, all of Jerusalem's refuse and rubbish was taken out through this dung gate down to the valley of Hinnon where it would be burned. This gate is mentioned after the valley gate it's when we are in the valley that we deal with the rubbish we need to get out of our lives. This is called the cleansing gate. Valley experiences are used by the Lord so that the true faith can be refined by fire and we can come forth and produce much fruit. Clearing away the rubbish in our lives is never easy, but the benefits can be seen in the next gate, which we'll speak next time, called the fountain gate which represents the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the gates, if you go and look at a map of Jerusalem, it's amazing the gap between the gates and how each gate was in exactly the right spot to prepare you for the next one. 
That's what I love about the Bible. But too many Christians are staying in the valley and wasting that time in the valley by saying, why is this happening to me? Rather than what do you need to do, God, while I'm down here so that you can cleanse me and take me through the dung gate and get rid of the stuff out of my life so I can have a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. God is very, very smart. Prophetically, the Dungate speaks of rubbish established within the church during the dark and medieval ages, leading to the Reformation. You heard of the Lutheran church that was birthed out of the Reformation when Martin Luther started to find stuff in the church, in the Catholic church back then. And I'm not here to have a go, please understand it's a different world now. But back then, Catholicism became the religion that everybody had to obey. And then people weren't allowed to read the Bible. It had to be read by only the people that were called to understand it. And my grandfather and his families back in Italy saw corruption in the church. Back in those days, where if you didn't give money to the priests when they came round to bless your house, they would curse you and they would send witches to curse your homes. And there was so much witchcraft in the church back then. But I'm so grateful that God never lets the church go and He will always raise up a voice and He will always raise up a time of reformation. And we see the reformation that took place because God wanted to bring the church back to the fountain gate out of the dung gate. And you know what? Let me prophesy and you can judge me later and tell me I was wrong. We're about to see a new reformation. I believe we're about to see a reformation of the church where we're gonna get rid of the stuff at the dung gate we need to get rid of. We need to go to the valley gate and and get rid of pride and let humility rise up. And we're gonna go to all those other gates like here in Nehemiah. And when you hear of the last five gates, next time you will see what an incredible breakthrough happens after what we see as a breakdown. It actually wasn't a breakdown, it was a build. Father, this morning, We thank You that the Bible isn't just a storybook. We thank You that it prophesies into right now. We thank You, Lord, that we see lessons from our past that speak today into our present and set us up for our future. While every head's bowed right now, if you're here today and the church has hurt you, not this church necessarily, you might just be visiting, but religions hurt you, the church has hurt you. Please don't let that keep you away from the God that loves you, who died on a cross for you. He died for you so that you would live free, that you will live without those holdups that keep you back. There's at least six people here this morning and if we can have our heads bowed, who once not only went to church, but you served in the church. And somewhere along the line, you were used, abused and spat out. And it actually made you make a decision. And that decision was, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the church. But by making that decision, you left the church and sadly lost God as well. And today God is saying, come home, repair those gates because I've got so much for you. I've got so much freedom for you. I've got so much purpose for you. And 
while every head's bowed, please, everyone, let's give respect to these folk. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. If you're feeling the tug of God to come back to truth, to come back to the roadmap of life, the Bible, I'd like to pray for you. Would you like to slip up your hand so I see where you are and I'll pray. You don't have to come up the front. I'm just going to pray from here. But I just want to see your hand and then the thank you, thank you. Somebody else, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Father, today, what an amazing God You are to call us home because You love us so much. You have so much for us. And today we thank You, Lord, that the broken gates of South Australia, Australia, the world can be repaired in our society, but the broken gates in our lives can be repaired. And I pray, Lord, that You'll start that wonderful work with these dear people. I pray in Jesus' Name. For those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to be out in the foyer. I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to be in the welcome lounge and I'd love just to give you a hug and pray with you and welcome you back to the purposes of God. If you're here today and you don't really know if you believe in God, you don't even know if He exists, you're not sure about faith, why don't you come out and have a chat with us? We don't want to just pray a little prayer and let you go. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. And we want to show you how the broken gates in your life and all our lives can be repaired by the Jesus who died, rose again and is coming back again. Jesus is Lord. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.